Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Polly Applegate, who is an advisor for early stage tech companies. Polly, welcome to the Platform Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've been quite vague about what you do, so I would love us to kick off by really just hearing a bit more about it, because you do advise, but you advise very specifically, and I would love to hear about what you do, and also some of the, the big companies that you've you've worked for, because I know you've had some, some really interesting roles. Thanks, yeah, it, it definitely has been quite a journey through many different places, so yeah, I... Um... I began, I guess, kind of this part of my life um, after doing lots of hospitality and other fun jobs that my um, degree had no input on whatsever. <laughs> um, and I, start, I actually started working with Apple um, many years ago and was kind of hired into the retail bit and, you know, wasn't really too on board with the high fives and clapping each other on the back all the time, but <laughs> actually managed to carve a pretty successful career out of working there and um, based in London and um, moved quite quickly through the the genius bar kind of roles into management positions and then uh, did some kind of learning and development and all sorts of fun things and yeah I was at Apple for six years um, always based in in the UK and um, kind of getting towards the end of wanting to be there I knew that startups really were where I wanted to move to but I think didn't really know much about them at that point mm-hmm. and um, went and did a bit of customer success at this very strange uh, company for six months that I wasn't too much of a fan of but it got me into this kind of mode where I knew I could look for other things and I was interviewing for a number of companies at the time and I think it was Snapchat, Monzo and Depop and um, yeah I took this great role at Depop um, Four, about four years ago now um, as head of community there and I've just finished there so I was there for, for four years and um, for our um, listeners Depop um, is yeah. well known here in the in the UK I know that they have reached the US but I, I think there are some more familiar apps to our US audience so you, can you tell us a bit about what Depop actually is yeah sure so Depop is this kind of organically grown amazing platform for it's a marketplace platform um for generally younger people to kind of buy and sell whatever's in their wardrobe you know famous tagline is um build your empire from your bedroom and um it provides it's good isn't it it provides this space for uh, what is now a very large community pretty much globally um uh, as i said to kind of uh, you know, get involved in being a kind of content creator and, a, and, a, and build your business. And we've had some incredibly 
big sellers and lots of people who were literally selling from the bedroom and yeah it was this it was this very community focused platform where unlike many other um similar platforms you know talking to your buyer or your seller was a big part of the experience mm-hmm. um and um yeah it was it was based in london and the founder simon beckman um who was in the kind of media before that he ran a magazine that was very successful and moved into um doing depop and yeah it's all over the world now and and, and you uh, were in it from the beginning were you or very early on at least yeah so i think i was number 70 or so in terms of staff members and we were in this amazing warehouse in shoreditch and it was all very cool and very trendy and my um my then boss actually who i remember my final interview my um my boss uh came into it holding a glass of wine in the final interview so i kind of thought yeah this feels like it might be a good place to work and <laughs> um yeah so not not from the very beginning but certainly kind of series a to series c um over over the space of four years and tell me a bit about what you did there, because I think what you've done there really defines a lot of what you are, have been doing since and um, and has sort of defined in a way your, your specialism. Would that be right? Yeah, you're right. It's um, so I was head of community. And when I joined, you know, it was it was, I guess, when I describe this to people, it was kind of. I hate to use the term customer service because I think it gives you this kind of chilled. Well, it certainly gives me a bit of a chill down my spine where you just um, envisage lots of people in a call centre, but it was, yeah, community support at the time, and there was um, kind of 25 people on the team, I think, and mostly just agents and a couple of managers, and, you know, we we transformed this um, kind of historic ops function into a much broader community experience one, um, taking everything that, you know, placing our users at, at the very heart of the business and, and um building out this kind of <laughs> scaling the operations quite significantly um to be not just the customer support piece but looking at um a community insight voice of the customer um you know supporting the trust and safety team um working with product and kind of operationalizing change um and lots of other fun things along the way as well and um yeah, my, my role was, was to lead that effort and I had a wonderful team and we grew it from, about, as I said, about 25 to I think there were about 70 when I left in-house wow. and then a number of people um, elsewhere in the world who were kind of in an outsourced partner. But um, yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was was a pretty wild journey, <laughs> that's for sure. And it's, you're right, it's certainly influencing now mm-hmm. what I've gone on to in the kind of consultancy piece. And when we talk about a marketplace community, or a marketplace platform, and I know some of our listeners are marketplace startup founders. What have you learned from your experiences at, at Depop and, and beyond about what it means to grow that sort of community as opposed to maybe a company with a more traditional model? Um, when you have those peer-to-peer transactions going on, what sort of things do you have to think about and what sort of things do people get wrong when they're trying to grow um, a peer-to-peer marketplace community? Gosh, that's a big question. Um... <laughs> Timer starts <laughs> now. <laughs> I think, um, uh, oh gosh, how do I break this down? I think when, you know, when you're growing the community, we were very lucky at Depop. I think there was this real natural growth because there was a real gap in the market for what what Simon and, and the original kind of founders wanted to do. And, and 
I think, you know, looking at it, one of the biggest parts of, of any sort of marketplace, my belief is, is about trust and about, you know, particularly when it's young people. So we had from 13 upwards, you can join Depop. Wow. And um, yeah, which, which brought its own challenges, mm. particularly for our trust and safety yes. efforts. But yeah, you, you know, you, you're dealing with not only people communicating online and through an app, but you're also dealing with their money and um, and their items at the other end. So there's, you know, you act as this kind of platform or middle person in this transaction, but the transaction's not just money. It's not just an item. It's a conversation or it's a, you know, it's, it's an interaction with an item. And I think, you know, there was lots of people that didn't use Depop to actually buy and sell, but used it to talk to other people and to build a local community. And so we had that kind of privilege to keep them safe and, and keep them, you know, using the app and enjoying it, um, but also keep them away from any bad things. Mm-hmm. And how did that become more difficult as the platform grew and scaled? And how have the learnings from, from the challenges you had at that point, how has that helped you to shape your offering now when you talk to early stage marketplaces? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's been pretty significant growth at Depop, which is which is no great secret. You know, we were one of the few that were pretty lucky last year when, when COVID hit, you know, the impact for us was very positive in some ways that, you know, buying and selling became very popular and sales certainly uh, shot up. But, you know, the pressure that that attention gave us was um, was significant. And um, particularly for, as I mentioned, our trust, our, our VP of trust, Fabian Koenig, he, you know, he brought with him, he started last year as well, and uh, he brought with him this kind of wealth of knowledge around policy. And I guess, you know, when you're trying to keep people safe, or when you're trying to run a marketplace, rather, it, you can do so much for so long before actually you need to get policies in place, and you need to be able to enforce those as well. And that takes quite a toll. That's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of a lot of uh, people power behind it and a lot of tooling and a, a lot of things that need to happen in the background to make sure that you're providing the safe transactional piece but the safe communication and, and as I mentioned we you know we grew significantly over the last 18 months and um, and therefore the kind of pressure publicly became quite visible mm. I think it, it definitely felt like we were everybody knew who we were overnight and um and therefore, people wanted a piece of it, um, mostly positive, but sometimes not so much. Um, so, yeah, it could be quite tough at times. But I think, you know, we were there to provide that great experience for our users and to make sure that where possible, you know, we, we mitigated any risk. And when they needed our help, we were there for them. And, um, you know, by scaling our team and tools over the past couple of years, we were able to do that uh, much quicker than we had ever done before, which was part of why... I think our users knew that we were doing a pretty good job in the background. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, you you know this more than most, I'm sure. You, not everyone agrees with policy, and you also can't. There's always a human bias on moderation to an extent, and not everyone will always be happy with the decisions that you make. But as long as you please the majority, then you're you know you're taking a step in the right direction. Yeah. And when you work with early stage marketplaces now, do you feel that somehow 
sometimes that the founders or you know the, the the people behind the scenes there don't necessarily anticipate some of the issues that they're going to have in terms of exactly what you're talking about in terms of that trust and safety as they grow their community do you think that people sometimes think that I mean I'm not putting words into your mouth but I can imagine that as a founder you get quite excited about the idea of growing a community and I certainly have met founders who are a very early stage who have the idea and they think about that and to them it's it's this sort of happy online world that they're growing and brilliant because you know that's one of the reasons I, I love this space so much because you can do that but do you think sometimes that there is a no, naivety is probably a bit harsh but maybe a lack of understanding of the the issues that you can have as you as a community grows absolutely i think it yeah naivety feels a bit harsh but if you speak to founders and use that word they'd agree i think um because there is this excitement and you know they a couple of people that i've been speaking with more recently and one that i'm advising with you know they provide this platform for people to connect and talk and they haven't really got any sort of trust and safety expertise within their team at all and they haven't really had a chance or felt like they had to prioritize that yet um Mm. but they're very they're very open to the fact that they don't know what they don't know and that's you know Mm. with I do feel like with trust and safety and, and policy sometimes it can be quite reactive because so much is changing around us and and you know so many other platforms are popping up and you look at tiktok and all these kind of places where millions and millions of co- pieces of content are shared all day every day and and i dread to think what their policy team has to go through but um mm-hmm. i think certainly with early stages you've got to be aware of what's happening you've got to be aware of governance and and rules and, and regulations around these things and particularly if you're looking after kind of younger people like Depop was and many other apps you know the impact of how you kind of support people's well-being whilst they're on your app I think is going to become even more important you know Facebook's probably one of the examples where they haven't really thought that through both for internal well-being and the external piece I'm sure they've thought it through but it doesn't feel like it all the time no but um yeah I think you know founders definitely need to be aware of that what are the bits that you enjoy the most that you want to do more of having sort of come out of maybe of that kind of, you know, really full on experience at Depop and growing that team and now being able to maybe have a bit more autonomy when it comes to what you work on with with early stage tech companies? What what bits do you do you like doing the most and what do you feel gives the best value to your to your clients? Yeah, I think there's a couple of pieces that I'm very lucky that I've been able to already make a start with across a couple of companies one really is that kind of um, optimization piece so looking at you know operationally how to um, scale how to build a team and how to provide community or customer support um, and around the tech as well and the tooling so how to kind of get things set up and make sure that you're doing them efficient uh, doing tasks as efficiently as possible and also the kind of org structure as well i think one of the great things that i had a massive opportunity to do was really to kind of carve out that team and, and make it into what it is today and i'm sure it will go through many iterations going forward but you know laying those foundations i guess um felt very special at depop and i think with even earlier stage companies that i'll be working with 
hopefully over the next year or so, um, I have even more of a chance of that because I'm in them right at the beginning, you know, before anyone's kind of even thought about what to do with these teams. So that's one piece and really mm -hmm. looking at the insight and efficiency and building teams. And the second piece is, you know, I had this great chance to learn from some amazing people at Depop and trust and safety, I guess, you know, didn't, I didn't really know that much about um, at the beginning part of my Depop journey. And um, we had some great people join, Fabian, who I mentioned earlier, and, and a couple of others who were just super knowledgeable in this space. And I learned so much around policy and governance and um, how to deal with kind of escalated risk and all sorts of other fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound very fun when I'm saying it loud, but I think that's the other piece that I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to people about and, and helping them with is is that side of kind of community experience that is the darker side and how to hopefully look at stopping as much as possible mm -hmm. of the bad behaviour. Um, so, yeah, those are the two bits that I'm really focusing on. When we talk about trust and, and safety and, or trust um, itself in, in, in marketplace communities, do you think that people who don't work in this world um that you meet sort of socially or what you know people who just uh, you know aren't involved in what you do at all do you think they are surprised by how important that is or do you think that people who just dip in and out of the apps that they're on don't really think about maybe what goes on behind the scenes i sometimes think that i just wondered if you did yeah. i think there's been quite a radical change even just in the last four years that I was working for Depop, I think, you know, there's this real awareness about online safety now. And, you know, maybe I was naive thinking that there wasn't that four years ago. I think there was, but I think tech companies four or five years ago were, were your Facebooks and your Ebays and your, you know, your big players. But I think there's so many smaller apps now that we all use and, I think when you think about trust and safety, unless you've had a bad situation yourself where, you know, there's been abuse or harassment or, you know, worse, that fraud, I don't think you really do pay much attention mm. to it. I think there has been a, you know, a real rise in um, awareness of fraud and during COVID because of, you know, we've all had text messages or, or emails from HSP fake hsbc or the post office trying mm -hmm. to get us to send people money but i don't yeah i think generally speaking you almost don't want to think about the trust and safety side of things because it means that you've probably been through something negative that's true that's true and i mean what else um does good trust and safety in a, in a marketplace community what what other sort of benefits does that have because uh, you know I've talked before uh, on marketplace risk here um, about disintermediation and people sort of platform leakage people going elsewhere if they don't get the experience they want um, and and in a way that that can be improved if you know if you have the right kind of community and you can sort of help people feel like they're a part of it are there other side benefits I suppose of, of building that community and building that trustworthy community that people might not have thought about can it have an effect on other areas of the business yeah I think there's definitely other sides to it you know one big other side of trust is is a part of everything that my team did day in day out and that's helping people when something does go wrong um at Depop and and also at Apple and you know many other places you 
a good customer experience is one where you know you you go and leave and you probably tell someone about if it was really great but you know that you'll probably go back and um a bad one what's that old saying you know you tell 10 people if you've had a bad time or no one if you've had a great time but um it's probably completely wrong what does that say about humans it's like gosh (laughs) super super pessimistic but um but yeah, I think, you know, you, if you want to build a company, and, and Apple was, was hugely famous for this, you know, you, you could go anywhere in the world and can guarantee that people have had uh, an iPhone or a Mac or something go wrong and they've had to go to a Genius Bar. But just the fact that you've got that service available that is unlike anywhere else, it, it already gives you kind of a foot in the door and helps you build trust and spending lots of money for something and knowing that if it goes wrong you've got very well trained brilliantly positive empathetic people who will help you and i think that setup you know for me that working there for so many years gives you that real um again that foundation of how to treat people when things do go wrong when they rely on the service that you're providing you know, if my, my Mac went wrong now, I'd be furious, but I know that I could go and get help. And same with, you know, marketplaces. If if I bought something on Depop or on eBay or, or wherever, really, and, and it didn't turn up or it wasn't what I was expecting, the the kind of support that's offered and how easy it is to get that support is what sets you apart. You know, I, I won't name names, but I had a terrible experience an internet provider that um, I just couldn't get through to anybody. I couldn't even find the support options. You know, they mm. made it so incredibly mm. difficult to, to reach out. And in the end, I took to Twitter and, you know, messaged the CEO, which is, it feels very kind of um, like something, something my mum would do, really. But, um, but uh, that's not fair on my mum. But, um, yeah, you know, you, you want to be noticed. If if you can't find what you need, you'll go and make a loud noise about it. And then it just becomes a bit embarrassing and you lose faith in that service. And I think, you know, my team, community support and community experience, we were there to make sure that that relationship remained strong at Depop and, and at Apple and, you know, the other companies that I'm working for now. It's the foundation, really. It's yeah. retention and it's growth and it's... It sets you apart. If you can provide something so effortless and so seamless and so easy for people, then they're not going to go anywhere else. And they feel like themselves because you're talking about sort of, you know, yeah. going, going on to Twitter and tweeting the CEO. It's like, I can, I can imagine that that's fairly out of character. <laughs> so it's almost like you don't want yeah. a marketplace that makes you be, you know, another person. And I, I know exactly what you mean. You suddenly become so frustrated with something um yeah. that you start to yeah turn into a, another person and um you <laughs> yeah, know kind of a monster <laughs> yes um yeah. so i was reading an, again an unnamed um american marketplace for fashion sharing um but it, it's nothing bad but i was just quite interested in this and i thought you might have an opinion on it so to to help develop a trustworthy community what they do is they actually have an interview before you can actually join. So a sort of, um, you know, like a FaceTime interview with a prospective member of the marketplace community, which will obviously be quite, um, you know, not exactly time or cost efficient to have to do these, Mm. but I imagine they're growing quite a small select 
community. And for something like Depop, that wouldn't really work because you want to be building users every day and, and that would be quite difficult. But what do you think about something like that? Because I was quite fascinated. I thought it sounded like it would be quite terrifying, really, to be interviewed um, <laughs> about borrowing other people's clothes and, and wondered, you know, if they asked things like, you know, are you a messy eater or something like that? <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I'd pass that interview. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. I, I, I haven't experienced it myself. I think there are certainly, you know, you hear about these apps, and I guess Clubhouse in a way, you know, you technically need to be invited by someone. Mm. You do need to be invited by someone, even though it's, it seems like they're throwing invites around. But um, I think it's it's interesting. I really think it depends on the product or the or the kind of platform itself and what it is that you're being interviewed for I think you know there's there's a I guess a point where you could relate you probably could say that the the top portion of the top sellers um who are the you know super engaged high revenue end of of the seller spectrum and and other platforms you know you've got your top creators or I'm sure on TikTok they have something similar but they kind of need to go through some sort of vetting process to get to that point you know you you have to make sure that not only are they going to set the right standard for what you want on your community, that they also kind of abide by the rules. And yeah, what I obviously you're not going to mention what the um, platform was itself, but what was the what was the product behind it? So it was a fashion sharing platform. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay, mm. interesting. Yes. There's a lot of that kind of fashion rental, fashion sharing. There seems to be, you know, five or six of those different types of models coming up at the moment, mm, which is really interesting. Really, but really I, exciting. Yeah, I have been speaking to a few, but the, you know, there's there's a this real kind of, um, I guess, you know, Depop was a part of that. Is in trying to reuse and recycle is probably the less glamorous way of talking about it, but that's circular fashion and and moving away from fast fashion yeah i think when it comes to this i mean no one would want to rent my clothes i'm not trendy enough at all but i think i'd rather know that that person who was renting them doesn't you know smoke or have pets that are going to jump all over them but i don't know how much you could probably pretend in interviews like that well i know and i think it's really interesting for the sharing economy is that idea of this is my thing, I'm going to let you use it, but to what extent do I now need to know about you to decide whether I want you to use it or is it just a thing and it doesn't matter and if I'm listing it on a marketplace, then you know how much do I care about you using it or maybe I shouldn't right. be doing that in the first place. So I, I think that's interesting and, and you know I think that I've heard people when I've talked to them about car sharing, for example, maybe the yeah. older generation, I don't want someone else driving my car. And it's like, well, you know, what, what exactly are they doing in, in your car that wouldn't be the same as, say, maybe if you'd <laughs> gone on holiday and used a hire car and someone else had used it before. It really is just somebody sitting yeah. and, and touching the steering wheel and, and stuff. So, And I, I think also in the time of COVID now, we yeah. are more... Um, you know, just more sensitive to the idea that we're sharing space and sharing things with people. But I always argue that it's no different from sleeping in a hotel when someone else has slept there the night before. You know, if we're starting to yeah. get precious about using the same objects as people, you really wouldn't ever leave the house, would you? So, 
Um, but just yeah, that's, that's <laughs> to finish up, Polly, thank you so much. I just wanted to just talk really just for a minute or so, as we've not got too much time left, about what your your kind of objectives and um, just any thoughts you have for the rest of the year. Hopefully we might get to see you at the Sharing Economy Global Summit in November in London. But in the meantime, what, what are your aspirations for the rest of 2021 as we move out of lockdown in the UK? Well, um, I yeah, in my personal life, it's I've just moved to Brighton, so as I think I've mentioned before, I'll, it's having a bit of downtime. Um, you know, coming out of extreme growth and deep yes, was well pretty deserved. tiring. So <laughs> yeah, so having a bit of time off. But you know, professionally, I've I've had this wonderful opportunity already with working with a couple of great companies um, as an advisor, or, you know, consulting, and I think. I'm really enjoying just speaking to lots of founders um, and early stage um, CEOs and understanding how I can add value to their companies, which, as I mentioned, can be across the ops piece and looking at optimization of scaling and org structure and tech or um, the the kind of, you know, policy and, and governance piece, which I think, you know, I'd I'm really excited just about speaking to people at the moment and I'm in this you know, very privileged position that I can do that for the next year or so and, and just meet as many as many people as possible, have great conversations and hear about all these wonderful ideas that people are coming up with and making their dreams come true and um, just be slightly in awe of all of the different types of marketplaces and sharing economy and all these wonderful things that you're super familiar with. Um, and I'm sure at some point the right permanent role may come along and, uh, and you know, in that kind of community space. Mm. But um, for now, I'm very much enjoying being a consultant and dipping my toe yeah. into lots of different things and helping people out when they need it. Brilliant. And um, just so our listeners know, you are very active on Clubhouse. I've seen you um, <laughs> pop up a few times. So if, if you do want to join in a conversation with Polly, find her um, on Clubhouse and I'm sure she'll be happy to chat to you about community further. So thank you, Polly, for joining us on the Platform Podcast and look forward to seeing you again later in the year. Thanks so much, Elle. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.